Hello, welcome to Skies and Currents podcast. I'm Teresa, and today is Monday, December 4th, and I'm here with Christina, and we're going to talk about the week ahead. Hello, Christina. Hi, Tess. How are you? Pretty good. Pretty good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm pretty good, too. Um, I am planning a very last-minute trip to Las Vegas, so I'm, like, running around a little bit today, and realizing i mean not just realizing but like reflecting on how it's kind of funny that i've never been to vegas like i'm like 30 oh, really? years old and i live in southern california <laughs> i've never been never <laughs> well, i drove through once but like oh. that's it oh that's well you're in for some it's interesting <laughs> Well, it's funny because I just feel like Las Vegas is like antithetical to any place I would normally choose to go. Um, and maybe that's just my weird bias or like I don't I don't understand. I'm like, what what would I enjoy in this place? But now I'm it's like such a last minute, like fun random opportunity. So I'm like, I'm just gonna go as like an anthropologist and be like Oh, well, there are some... these people gambling. Like, oh, look at this strange well, show. I don't know. What it is, is it's like a concentration of humanity. <laughs> so mm. there's everything there. Like, there's really, really nice stuff there. And then there's, like, some really, like, just strange, you know, w like, hard to process why <laughs> this is <laughs> there's some like you know darker elements of humanity and it's all in this tiny little like half a mile like region you yeah. know super concentrated so you can go anywhere no that's i didn't realize you've never been i feel like i've been a lot nope never never been yeah i don't like i hope it's really fun just don't it's not it's not a place it's a place to just celebrate humanity and the absurdity of existence i'm just gonna go with like very excited to like love and enjoy everyone that i encounter and everything i encounter what attitude to bring to it just be like wow this is amazing look at these lights look at these people look at, look at this show look at this food that's yeah. what i'm that's what i'm going for Yes. Although I did just try to like hand wash a viscose, viscose, viscose. I remember like, is it viscose or? Vi anyway, I tried to hand wash a dry clean only dress. I don't know. <laughs> and now I'm just like praying to the gods that it doesn't shrink, and I actually have something to wear. You hand washed it and you just hung it out to dry. Well, it's hanging in my apartment because I read that if you hang it in the sun, it might shrink. Well, yeah. it should. I mean, I, I. I, I wash all my dry clean only clothes. I never oh, ever dry clean anything. Oh, that's a very good photo. I never ever buy dry clean only clothes because it just seems fucking absurd to me. Like, why would I want to have a piece of clothing that I cannot wash? Like, does the do, do the makers of this clothing know who I am? Like, I spill everything all the time. Well, I buy all my clothes. Sorry, this is like. Feel free to judge me. It's fine. I buy almost all my clothes used. Like I wouldn't on, judge you for that. On thread, thread up, like on consignment, like I almost like 
there are certain things that I'm like, this has to be new pajamas, face <laughs> layers, underwear, shoes, like, you know, things that I can really wash while I buy used. And a lot of folks sell dry clean only stuff because it's a pain in the ass. Yeah. A lot of like wool and silk, you know, blend stuff that says dry clean only, but I will tell you, it's pretty fine. If you just if you just wash it in cold water, in the gentle cycle, and then hang it out to dry, yeah, and then hang it flat so that it doesn't lose its shape. Oh, <clears throat> oh, oh. Mm. no, no, no! This is how do you hang something flat or like lay it flat? But I think like, I think that's more about like wool and like loose mm. that will lose its shape. So I think I think your dress is gonna fine, be fine. I'm gonna make yes. it. I I'm so glad. I I always wish I could buy vintage clothes, but like I'm just I'm just like too big of a person. Like I'm like a big giant person and there's no vintage clothes that are my size ever. Ever in the people are always like, "No, no. Vintage clothing shops have all sizes." Like vintage excited people, I'm like 100% no. That like apparently 50 years ago there was no one larger than a size 8 in the world <laughs> I, mean, I don't think that's entirely true but yeah I don't know what the but I th- there is like a kind of a narrow size range for vintage clothes and I don't even fit into it either because I'm too short and to my shoulders yeah. are too narrow I'm like on the other end of the spectrum <laughs> I feel like if I was a vintage sized person my whole life would be different my whole style my whole style and aesthetic would be different I would like have fully bought into this many years ago but i'm not a vintage sized person so unfortunately a lot well i like your i like your style anyway oh thank you thank you um okay so this week i feel like actually i feel like this was a great lead up to our conversation this week because i'm mostly thinking about venus right now um this is the last day of venus in Libra and we've talked about Venus and Libra a lot in the last couple of episodes because she's been with K2 which has created this <laughs> pattern um that we've talked about on the show a whole bunch um this idea of Venus and Libra being sort of the socialite or the diplomat or the person the figure that keeps peace and balance in the culture and society. Um, and then Venus coming into contact with K2 in Libra. Um, and that fig- that configuration sort of pointing to something within that balance that is actually rotten. That's not really like true peace or true balance. It's like, you know, this this stale configuration or this stale um sort of these stale assumptions about what is good for society um what's um that that's either sort of that's not serving everyone anymore um that we need to kind of like get rid of um and today is the last day of venus with k2 in libra and I thought it was really interesting <laughs> last week on the actual day of Venus's conjunction to K2, which was last Tuesday. Um, so that would have been 
I'm going to look up the date. Or no, it was Wednesday, I believe. November 29th. Mm-hmm. Fucking Henry Kissinger died on that day. I was honestly not aware that he was still alive. Yeah, I was not aware that he was still alive either. Um, but yeah, this motherfucker, them probably <laughs> the most. I'm sorry, I don't have any like whatever sorrow about Henry Kissinger dying. No, no, no. I, don't think... I, I, don't, I don't want you to either. <laughs> I don't think anybody, well, I don't know, probably some people do, but, um, but yeah, this guy is probably the most in name famous diplomatic figure in the United States, at least maybe in the Western world. And he died on the day of the South Node K2 conjunction to Venus in Libra, which is the sign of diplomacy. And I was like, this is one of those days where I'm like, nobody should ever be asking if astrology is real ever again, because like you couldn't get a more fundamentally thematically lined up sort of event. Yeah. Because not only is it like, okay, Venus in Libra is sort of like one of the archetypes would be the diplomat, right? Mm -hmm. Um, South node is loss. So the death of a diplomat just on that level would be in line with his configuration. But then the deeper reality of like, what does our society need to flush down the toilet or trash um, or get rid of? Like the dominant paradigm of like U.S. imperialism and sort of covert. I mean, he is like one of the architects uh, or was one of the architects of U.S. covert action in, you know, all over the world. Like horrible, you know, plots to overthrow governments that have destroyed lives and, you know, like I'm most familiar with, you know, his work in Latin America because that's what I studied. But I mean, it goes spiders into the whole world and I'm not like qualified to speak on a lot of it. But, you know, I just was like, yeah, well, (laughs) this is definitely a moment when everybody is questioning, you know, sort of the status quo of U.S. hegemony and our involvement with different countries and the way we've behaved and um and I was like wow this is like this is pretty spot on like this man's death this it is like symbolic of the south node trying to literally flush the status quo of U.S. uh foreign policy um mm-hmm. And this is how astrology works. Like, this is sort of what, you know, a lot of astrologers call astrology good because it's not necessarily good for anybody, but it is sort of perfectly uh, a perfect symbol of the skies um, correlating with events on Earth. And, um, you know, astrology will just, it will, it will hit so many different layers of human 
life. You know, it'll hit us at our in our personal life in a really specific way. It'll hit the culture on one level. It'll hit, um, you know, the government. It, it'll hit like all these different levels. And then sometimes we'll just get one event that's sort of this really symbolic moment that kind of just encapsulates the whole uh the whole configuration in the sky in this case venus in the venus's conjunction to the south node or k2 as i like to call him well this is why so many um astrology is was so uh important to a lot of different civilizations in the ancient world right because it was really oh, yeah. it was really valuable information I know people always talk about how Reagan's um like when Reagan was going senile or whatever and his wife um was cons- <laughs> consulting an astrologer um about like various sort of I don't know I don't actually know the details but people have accused Reagan's wife of sort of like a shadow um <laughs> some shadow rule during his presidency and she she did regularly consult astrologers and i've always laughed at that because um historically it is much more um common than not for politicians to consult astrologers like that used to be like now it's this like taboo thing but for a long time it was like well of course we're going to talk to an astrologer before we do things are you insane why wouldn't we want to (laughs) know Yeah, obviously that would be it would be inept not to, you know. Right. Yeah. Um in even like the Catholic Church, which has a played a huge role in, you know, fucking up the transmission of Western style astrology. We we lost so many records about how astrology was practiced in the Hellenistic world. And the Catholic Church did so much to suppress um astrological practice um but they still consulted astrologers like all the popes had astrologers they didn't like astrology so they didn't want everybody to have access to it only they wanted it right it was just yeah. only. it's so sad because if you look at vedic astrology or indian astrology you just you get this unbroken tradition for thousands of years <clears throat> that's been transmitted you know family to family practitioner to practitioner for in an unbroken stream so they have so many tools um that we don't have access to in such a depth that we don't have access to and um it makes me so sad because i don't sound sad because i'm like (laughs) my voice is up but it does make me truly sad because like we lost we lost so much um that's why i'm so grateful to like certain astrologers that are working now like um i really only know like austin Kopic and chris brennan but i know there's like a whole a whole group of them um but i feel so lucky to like have learned astrology at this moment western astrology at this moment because there's this group of people that are trying to revive the ancient techniques and sort of put together um fill in the gaps in the the broken transmission in the western the western uh system so but yeah astrology is real (laughs) y'all well that's whenever you know 
because of the many different things that I've done and that I've been, you know, my friends and peers and the people around me are doing, there's this really interesting conversation about reality, right? And what is real and what is not real. And it's like, even just saying it that way is like, there's like a problem with your, the way that you're understanding it or the way that you're thinking about it. Yeah. Is what I keep coming back to. Um, but, but I also really understand because a lot of what um, kind of mainstream astrology is, is just very, very general, right? right? Just kind of looking at the houses or the rising signs. Um, and there's always going to be some enough points of connection that people are going to be able to relate to, to be like, yeah, I totally am on board with this. But they're always going to be general enough that other people are going to be like, anyone could relate to those things. Um, and so if you've just not really had the opportunity or the inclination to get deeper into it, right. um, you know, it's going to be easy to be like, well, I don't know, that doesn't sound real to me. But, you know, people do the same thing with like scientific research, right? Yeah. 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 They don't really understand the process of it. Um, any kind of like deviation from what people said at any point, they'll they'll say like, see, it's all it's all fake. I know that it was all fake. It's all lies. And you're like, no, it's just that science is like a continuation of yeah. discovery. So we know as much as we know, and then we're knowing new things. It doesn't mean that the whole thing is fake. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting that you say, I have two thoughts, because when you're talking about how a lot of mainstream astrology is practiced in a really general way, I, I do think part of that is because of what I was saying, like the unbroken right. tradition. The, the broken tradition has left a very uneven, um, like an uneven field of education in the field, right. like it within astrology. So people don't don't always know how deep and specific the, the tool set can get. So a lot of mainstream astrology just it does feel very general um, personnel, especially in the West, you know, personality-based generalities. Um, but yeah, I it's interesting what you said, though, about like how you, or you said um, it's not really the right way to think about it, like whether it's real or not. And I think you should say more about that because, oh. because that's interesting. <sighs> So let me think about how to break down this. So um, I'm going to use Santa Claus as the example. Yes, please. <laughs> That's like the most present in my life, especially right now. Um, so I wasn't, neither of us were really inclined to push like Santa Claus narrative on our kids and I know that for some people it's like really fun and really exciting and a big deal. And that, I think that's great. But for us, it was just kind of like, eh, you know, we don't, the holiday isn't that big to us. So yeah. we just, but I also wasn't going to be like, Santa's fake. He's not real. Everyone's lying to everyone, you know, because it's not like I'm saying that about Blippy, right? Yeah. I'm not 
walking up to the TV being like, you know, Blippi's fake, right? You know, because yeah. he's not real. He's just some guy pretending to be Blippi. <laughs> like, why would I do? <laughs> yeah. And so it's just the the definition of real we need to just figure out what we mean by that if we're going to start saying that things are either real or not real um because arguably just about anything is real right blippi is real santa is real in many different contexts um he's real in stories we got real people dressing up like like it's a real thing just because like there isn't a literal man breaking into our house Right. It doesn't mean that it's not real, but a lot of people think in these terms. Um, And so, and and just, and like most things are not operating at 100% in this world. You know what I mean? So it's, it's like just because you might misread something in astrology or you might have like, you know, 90%, 80% accuracy with how you're interpreting what you're seeing, it doesn't mean that the whole thing is garbage. Right. The, the same thing with my vacuum cleaner. My vacuum cleaner doing a great job picking up 90% of the shit on the floor. Am I looking at that 10% being like, this is fuck, this doesn't work. Get rid of vacuum cleaners. This was a terrible idea. No one should have no one should be taken in by these. I'm gonna start a movement against vacuum cleaners. Um, but we're living in this like very strange world where we want things to be that way. We want things to either be like a hundred percent consistent in the way that we're imagining they should be. Or what do we believe? <laughs> How do we know what to believe if it's not a hundred percent all the time, you know? And I think that it's like 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 a like almost like a sickness of like the Western world, mm. so intensely focused on our thoughts and our ideas, and we're trying so hard to make reality, you know, match to, our thoughts, yeah, and to be able to define it and to be able to draw hard lines around it so that our mental process can rely and kind of lean on this certainty of reality um but it just doesn't that's not how any of it is yeah (laughs) well you know it's okay because i've been thinking about this a lot and now i'm like okay am i gonna be able to articulate this in a way that's useful but i'm going to try um i've been thinking about this a lot because of um dan mcclellan i think is his name (laughs) um he is a podcast host and a creator like a content creator he's a biblical scholar um and he is always posting really interesting um information about biblical scholarship and um often in like at least i follow him on instagram and it, it so at least there it's often in response to somebody who's trying to make claims based on biblical texts so kind of like proof scientific correlation um historical uh validity you know based on like mapping together (laughs) right text and so he'll kind of break it down and be like well this is and 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 i i i think he's great 
Anyway, you can. Sorry, I don't want to keep going. Yeah, no, no, no. I, I thank you for adding that because um, that is very clearly what he does. Like, and his whole sort of orientation is I'm trying to combat um, misinformation about biblical uh, texts. And <laughs> so a lot of time when he's encountering, it's sort of like what you just described. Like somebody has a fixed idea, like a mental mapping of what they want the world to be, like the truth. And if they're religious, you know, religion becomes a big part of that set of truths that they're that they want to be like hard and firm and reliable so they're making claims about biblical texts that sort of warp the text to fit into their ideological structure right their belief set and he's like no (laughs) you should never ever ever do this this is the worst possible way to read the text like we have to read the text for what it meant in the context of the person and culture from which it arose and that you know biblical texts are not necessarily in agreement with each other they're not univocal um there are a lot of different sort of uh, approaches and 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 um perspectives within the canon that we call the bible and people get so mad. <laughs> we get so mad. I'm, and, yeah, like so mad and so upset and so hurt that they're sort well, of. You know, they have a whole website like against him specifically. Oh I don't remember what it's called, but it's like there's a movement against Dan. I mean, he's like my hero because I mean. <laughs> I, I don't know, I, and, and you know he's Mormon too, which I think is so fascinating because I know that he has not an atheist. He's not. No. It's, it's really nice. I like. Yeah, I, I to a religious like he's a religious person, and so okay. So every time I see someone meltdown about him sort of poking holes in their attempts to force a biblical text into their thought process or belief system, I think it's so funny because to me. Every time he does that, I feel more free. Oh, that's so nice. And I'm like, like, I am, like, I grew up Christian and was religious for a long time. So it's easy to say, oh, well, you're just like a deconstructing Christian. So that, you know, helps you feel more free or whatever. But I don't think that's actually why, because I've sort of passed that phase of like angry Christian deconstruction where I'm like, mad about the beliefs and mad about the bible and like i don't i don't it's not like coming from that place of like oh yeah so you dan stick it to the bible or whatever it's not that it's like it just highlights how sort of belief in general is just it's not the engine of faith it's not the engine of spiritual power it's not the engine of anything and like there is disagreement all across the texts. We don't we don't know what we we don't have any scholarly or faith-based consensus about what the texts mean. Like it is up to us to generate meaning from these texts. Mm-hmm. And it is up to us to acknowledge that 
you know, they were all of these texts are u- uniquely blossoming from an individual's faith and relationship to the divine. And like we get to read that and be inspired in our own way and create our own set of meanings around that text. And to me, that's like immensely freeing. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah. It, it, I, I mean, I'm not, I don't have um, like, I, I didn't have any sort of like religious trauma or like any insistence. Like we were Mormon, but my parents were always very openly critical. Yeah. The whole thing. So there was never this imperative to believe anything when I was a kid. Like it was just sort of open-ended and you know, so there, there wasn't, that's not really something to process through for me. And I'm not that personally interested in the Bible or biblical history. Like I like history in general, yeah. but it's not been like a big draw for me. But I, I think the work he's doing is so important. It's so important. Um, and it's just the, the way that he talks to people, because he's very kind and he's very generous with everybody that he responds to. Um, He's straightforward. He's very, um, you know, open about when they don't know things. You know, he's not ever positioning himself as I know everything about this. And he'll reference other people and say, this person made this argument, this person made this argument. And it's just a very, I mean, online especially, it's just one of the most refreshing conversations you're ever going to see. one of the things that strikes me is because is that you know we're pretty religious i guess and that like yeah. me my husband and but not in the ways that um i think most people would associate that word to mean everyone in the west associates religion with beliefs that's the right, right. The, the association if, you, if you're religious that means you believe something specific right. Right. And that the beliefs are the driving force it, behind the religion. And also that the beliefs are so much a part of your identity that you feel as though you have to impose them on other people. Right. Or that you have to kind of separate or judge other people in relationship to those beliefs. Um, and, so, and for us, it, it's not even, it's not about belief. It's not about what other people are doing like it's not like we're not even really pushing anything on our kids because it's not about any of that um and so for me it's just always very interesting to watch people relating to their religion in this way that's like they want it to be fact-based or you know and for me like i'm like that is just it's so it just, it's a very very just fascinating to watch because it's so far away from my experience and i know that that's the very common experience, um, at least in this country, is like, why are you religious? Why are you doing this? Well, because it's true. Yeah. Right? It's right. And I'm like, oh, there's, there's, there's so much more, though. There's so much that's like not even important to it. Yeah. It's, it's back to like what you said before, which is like the question of is it real or is it not real? That's just it's right. not the right question. Right. Well, and the other, the thing that I keep thinking when I watch um, some of his posts is, and like the people, mostly like watching the other people that 
he's responding to is that, um, you know, like God is everything, like the divine is everything. And, you know, that's my experience. That's a lot of experiences of it. That's been described across many different traditions, right? That God is totally, you know, so there's kind of a, you don't have to think of it that way, obviously, but there is a pretty wide consensus that that's how we're relating to God or the divine is that it is the everything. Um, And therefore, you could make any argument about God, about the divine, and argue that it was true. Literally any conceivable belief or argument, like anything that we can imagine, anything that we can experience, you could make an argument that it was like directly coming from God or directly coming from the divine or a divine experience. Um, And so religious can't be that, like religion can't be that, right? Because... (laughs) Yeah. Well, obviously there's gonna be problems. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's just funny because we, you know, we want in the West, we we want religion to be based on the belief set because that's what we've been conditioned, right? Mm-hmm. But the so much of the power and this is sort of a what I'm coming to understand that I don't fully learn, I don't fully understand yet, but spiritual practice and spiritual power comes from, you know, folks relating to God or relating to the divine within a specific structure that many people decide to practice and relate to in the same way. Would you say that that is partially true? Yeah. Yeah. And it's that structure that sort of holds, it creates the container of the practice and the relationship to the divine. But there's disagreement about what the structure should be. And there's disagreement about what the exact relationship should be. And that's fine. Even Mm -hmm. within the same tradition, that's okay. Like broadly within a similar tradition, that's okay. Like we get to participate in making the meaning and then the structure around it and yeah. and that's that's well, part of the process yeah that's like because again you could do argue say imagine anything and um credit it to the divine um so it really does have to be this kind of like okay well what do we how do we want to relate to this how do we yeah. want to relate to this force or being or uh principle or you know however you want to think about it um and what is like the most the best way to do that and what is going to further us you know as individuals and And what's going to uplift the most people around us you know and and what is what's like a lens of how do we get to that through a lens of compassion or the values that are important to us like we don't need to be beholden to like 2000 year old text that has sort of like value-based issue well and it's there's so many so many like it's just like a minefield of problems right because it's like he's like dan's mentioned a bunch of times so there's a lot of conflicting information there's a lot of different voices there's a lot of different 
stories that have been um, influenced by older stories, right, and older traditions in the region. There's always like cultural, contextual stuff. And then there's going to be a million translation difficulties um, if you're here and you're reading it in English. Um, there's always going to be like biases, right. mistakes, and, you know, like it's just, and then we, and then you have people interpreting that for you. So it's, it's just like, there's just all these really, yeah, just so many, so many problems with it. But if you were just to accept it as like, like if you didn't, if you didn't want to be like, this is all factual right like this is batting a hundred percent right which with which again nothing is and you just wanted to be like this is just a source of like information and comfort and ideas yeah. and you know or a document of how a specific group of people related to god at that time even if it's the same god that you want to relate to like, yeah that's cool you could just yeah sort of see how they were relating to them at that time and then you know let that be inspiring or not i mean so <laughs> tess and i both went to this class um that actually dan's group like put together um or it wasn't a class it was like a online webinar thing and it was sort of about it ended up i feel like being a lot about new testament cosmology basically um and we we're both laughing because a lot of it turned out to be about astrology um, or like the way that New Testament authors related to the stars. And it wasn't but, that like that at all. We just happened that it happened to be the one that sounded interesting to us that we both yeah. came from. Oh, how strangely appropriate. Um, but then it like sort of deviated, not deviated, but it kind of meandered over to Paul and like Paul who wrote a lot of the New Testament scriptures that are not the Gospels. Um and it was just, it was funny to me because like Paul is sort of the um, progressive modern Christian boogeyman, right? Like modern Christians that want to be progressive oftentimes are like, Paul was the worst, you know, like he's the one, like Jesus was cool and Jesus was here and he was like, he cared about the poor and like he was a progressive hero. And then Paul came around and he didn't even know Jesus. He never even met him. And then he wrote all these texts and, you know, he made all these rules and he was just like the bad guy. He's the guy who ruined everything basically is the progressive Christian narrative. And like, I used to feel that way too, when I was first like breaking out of the Christian paradigm but it was so <laughs> it was so funny you know and in this class um because they were just talking about how basically he was kind of you know more than anything he was like an apocalyptic guy you know he believed the world was gonna end before he died right and everything that he wrote was from that lens everything yeah. And, you know, modern Christians have sort of, or like the Christian church or the Catholic church or whatever, the the dark and shadowy figures that have um, <laughs> shaped the tradition ever since. They kind of wrote that out because like obviously the world didn't end before Paul died. But like, you know, if you read the his letters from that perspective, they're like a lot more that you could get out of them. Like 
not not because you need to believe that the world was ending because obviously it didn't but that was the way he was relating to the whole thing and there's not like you don't have to be like this guy was wrong and he was a crazy idiot because he thought the world was going to end and there's nothing to take away from these texts like you could read them from the perspective of like oh what what is relating to god like if you believe that everything is ending and therefore nothing you have matters using it as a thought experiment you know like there's a lot of value in like thinking about how to relate to the divine if it from an apocalyptic mindset because it teaches us not to attach you know to what we have not to attach to the world too strongly not to attach to um our possessions um well to think of ourselves as part of a much bigger story right that we're not in control of right but then there's also horrible ways to relate to apocalyptic ideas which is (laughs) nothing matters and let the world burn and you know it's like if you if you break out of the mindset of trying to uh judge everything as like true or false or or useful or not useful or good or bad it's like oh it's like a framework for relating and what can we take from this and what can we what do we not want to take from this yeah and it's just again i'm sorry i just keep referencing this because it's on my mind but my whole idea about stories and how we relate to stories and how we even think about our own life right in stories and ideas and narratives and um it's like there's just a lot to me to me a lot of the really really like juicy (laughs) religious story you know there it's not we're not meant to believe them and then derive action right right like it's like the point isn't don't eat any more pomegranates, right? That's not what the story is about. <laughs> the story is about something like a process that we can relate to on a really deep human level, right? The stories are just yeah. being, like they're creating a narrative in like a very beautiful, um, rich, complex, uh, you know, interesting, relatable you know, draws you emotionally, draws you mentally, turns you on in all these different ways. Um, and then, the, but these stories about our, are about ourselves and they're about different processes that we go through yeah. or potential processes that we can go through, go through. could go through. Um, and so, yeah, I'm not, yeah. So I absolutely don't think that there's nothing of value in the Bible at all. Like, I don't believe that. I think that it's, I like it. I like a lot of the stories. I think they're great. But at no point am I like, and therefore we should. <laughs> yeah. It's not a proof text. It's not it's not an instruction manual. No. Um, that's for sure. <laughs> That'd be like the most chaotic, like, dis, like uh, disambiguous, like unuseful instruction manual of all times. <laughs> Just like arguing with itself constantly. <laughs> Well, well, and I actually think that's why there are so many people who are trying to make it that um, in such defensive positions. Right. 
because it's like they're they're trying to maintain that so much and it's like so easy to kind of poke holes in it that there's almost this like you have to fight right if you're gonna kind of try to hold on to that perspective on it you are in a position where you are going to have to fight um which is just it's just which is a shame yeah it is it is really a shame i mean i don't know i'm I'm, i guess i'm just so i'm past i have a lot of opinions about it but i'm past the um the part of my personal process where i feel triggered by it all you know like when i was younger i would just get angry you know like why would they have taught us this like you know obviously untrue stuff and you know why does anyone believe that it was just this anger anger trigger processing where anytime i encountered any um anyone teaching the bible anyone deconstructing the bible like it just was it just pinged this like anger fear sadness reaction yeah it does feel nice to be past that because I can just be like, oh, yeah, interesting. Oh, look how mad they're getting. Oh, look how mad he's getting. <laughs> like, this is so interesting. What is like, oh, what does he say about, oh, my God, look, you know, Yahweh and his connection to Baal. Like, how fascinating. I should read more about it. Like, I just don't, like, I don't care anymore. Um, so it's all become, like, fodder for your... <laughs> fodder for deepening my perspective on the divine but also for creative work or you know mm-hmm. yeah i just i love it i love i love dan mcclellan's account like i feel like he probably doesn't want to be associated with I know, podcast. I feel like i'm very much on like the opposite end of any conceivable spectrum of work that yeah. i would be surprised if he was not stoked about but yeah i think i think he's great <laughs> I think his content is great. I think, again, the way that he presents it, the way he organizes it, the way he talks to people. Um, yeah, it's f- fantastic. I'm so happy yeah. that they're doing it. Um, and I also appreciate how much I've learned. Even stuff that I'm like, I wasn't interested in this, but I'm happy I know it now. Um, yeah. It's nice. Yeah, totally. And um, yeah, it just I did actually gain so much affection for Paul in that um in that class i mean it's such a dorky thing to say because i really was part of the paul is the progressive christian boogeyman group for a long time but i was like oh man this guy just like had like a psychic opening and maybe he was always psychic guy like i don't know like he connected to like to christ and you know he probably misinterpreted a lot of stuff but he had some crazy visions of the end of the world and he 100 percent believed them and like you know, he was just like, he was blasted, you know, he was just like, (laughs) confused. (laughs) And like, he didn't have any like, you know, sadhus or yogis like hanging around to teach him how to like go into samadhi or like really make sense Uh, of what's happening. He's getting, yeah. It's, but to me, like, I'm like, but this is the value of religion, right? Because Paul didn't change, you changed. Right. It's like you were able to change and then you're able to use Paul as like this reference point to look back and be like, oh, my feelings about this and like who I am and how I relate to this has shifted. And like Paul didn't change, but like you've done something, you know, you've done something. And I that's to me, I'm like, this is the value of religion. There it is. (laughs) 
Yeah. Well, no, it's, it's, yeah, it's interesting to think like, because a lot of what we were learning about in that class too, is how much like, um, Hellenistic philosophy he just applied to Christianity or to his visions. Right. And this is something that you talk about all the time. It's like, you can have a psychic opening. You can see stuff. You can have visions. Real. The experience of it is legitimate and real, but the way that you interpret those visions and that experience is going to be very, very, very narrow because it's only going to be based on like what you already know. You're never going to be able to interpret anything, anything you experience in life or in the world, like beyond what you've already experienced. And so you have to, you know, expand as you move forward. But a lot of people do the opposite, right? They're like, I have seen absolute reality. <laughs> Because it feels so immense when you're having yeah. it, you know. It the, is undeniably real when you tap yeah. into that and you access it and you experience it. And the experience is valuable and it does change you. But if you don't continue to work on yourself, and this is 100% from you, like I take no credit for knowing this. Um, but like if you don't continue to work on yourself and like get rid of your attachments to the way you want to think about the world and get rid of your attachments to your desires and your attachments to you know to everything (laughs) um you know you're going to take the energy and and that you tapped into the depth that you tapped into and you're going to interpret it through the lens that you already have so that's why you know all of the traditions that focus on that focus on you know going into samadhi or accessing spiritual forms of enlightenment they all focus on for a very long time teaching you how to get rid of the lens that the culture gave you yeah and get rid of your attachments so Mm -hmm. that you can you can interpret so you can interpret the experiences more accurately and more um accurately maybe is the wrong word but well this is why functionally this is why i'm like so like functional functional what are we going to do with this what's going to be functional with this and it's also nice because in those circumstances it's like they have kind of a, a path or a course laid out for them so they don't have to then take that experience it and apply it to general existence they apply it back to their practice which they already have format for um so it, it's easier to make it functional as well. Yeah. And not just, you're not just going around telling everyone the world is ending because the world is going to end, y'all. Like, yeah. it's going to end. Like, <laughs> and we all know this. <laughs> no, but it is. It's going to end completely and it's going to end in a million ways on the way there, right? Yeah. So, and so you can't even like accuse apocalyptic like apocalyptic thinkers of being wrong. They're not wrong. They just like you know <laughs> they're not applying it functionally. <laughs> going around and telling everybody the world is going to end tomorrow is almost never a functional way of relating to an internal experience. <laughs> like I mean, I feel like a lot of people that tap into having internal experiences see the world ending well i think well and this is one of these difficulties with interpretation too because a lot of what you experience are just like 
dreams about yourself, mm. you know, and so it, it's like we we have it, and, and again, I, we think we talked maybe in the first episode of one of our earlier episodes about how the inner voice speaks in hyperbole. So, um, like, if we're really emotional, a lot of times we feel like the world is coming to an end or life is coming to an end or like we're going to die or the worst thing possible is going to happen when we're feeling really emotional. And then when you have internal psychic or visionary experiences, a lot of the times we have this same kind of very, very grandiose, um, the most, the biggest, the the most extreme version. So a lot of the processes that we're interpreting about ourselves are shown to us in these very mythological ways. You know, imagine the greatest flood there could ever be. You know, imagine the the most, you know, intense death process, the biggest ending of all things. Um, and it's just, you know, oftentimes just little chunks of our egoic self going. Yeah screaming very loudly as it does it yeah every time a tiny part of your ego dies it feels like the whole thing is dying and, and it's, so extremely, much, it's extremely convincing it's like listen no one's gonna love you anymore Cold. you're gonna have no value in the world whatsoever you're gonna die what's the worst thing you're everyone you know and everyone that you really care about they're also gonna die Come with me on this. Like they'll tell it'll tell you all of the things. All yeah. of your fears. It'll always tell you all of your biggest fears. Um so yeah, so it is a it is kind of an interesting, I mean, eventually I'd love to write a book on relating to internal experiences. I don't know when that will happen, but it is something that I'm kind of I love it. And yeah. I also get to be um, I, I get to be a person who a lot of people share their internal experiences with me. Right. So I, I'm not even like, I think that some people think that it's very rare, um, or only for people that are interested in spirituality or that are trying to have them or doing psychedelics, whatever. And I'm like, no, M many, many, many people across all walks of life will have some kind of metaphysical, supernatural, internal shift, insight, visionary experience, profound dream, weird, you know, like the world is a weird place and our experience of it is wild and exciting. And, um, and again, what a lot of people do with that is either disregard it or don't want to talk about it or think that they'll be ridiculed or people will think they're insane if they talk about it or they decide, my interpretation is the correct one and everybody else's is just a result of their <laughs> confusion or brainwashing. No one else's is real, you know, because if it conflicts with mine at all or they're not doing the practices I'm doing, it's not legitimate. Um, so I'm excited to be like, no, it's all legitimate. But that yeah. doesn't then mean <laughs> yeah. that we are going to interpret it and act on it in the most functional ways yeah that's yeah i'm very excited for this book i think um, <laughs> we really need it oh my god i'm so sorry i have to take a break because my cat will not oh, stop bothering me until i feed her and yes my cat eats lunch which is so dumb but i it started 
and now I can't stop it. So I'll be I'll be right back. I'm gonna <laughs> stop the recording for a second. Okay, Never. <laughs> we're back. The cat has been fed. We have the creature. The creature's been fed. We'll probably hear a little clinking sound in the background as she eats her food. Clink, 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 clink. I always know oh. that when we're on Zoom meetings together, the little Vesta clinks, and I think they're nice. Yeah, they are nice. She's she's a she's a good kitty. Um, okay, so astrology. Um, yeah, about the coming week at all. So yeah, sorry, we're now like. This is like this is our first time getting like forty five an hour into the episode and not getting to the point yet. Um, but maybe it is the point. But that's what everybody tells me. They're like, I don't I actually listen to very many podcasts. I only listen to biblical scholarship podcasts and other astrology podcasts. So, but everyone's like, podcasts they just talk about whatever. It's like it doesn't have to be structured. So. I don't know if that's really true, but I have, I have absolutely no idea. I think it's it's fine. I'm <laughs> I'm happy anyone's listening at all. I'm like this is great. This is going well. I know it's like a miracle. I can't even believe people are listening and like more people every week. I'm like, what? How is this? How is this possible? This this is amazing. It's a literal miracle. Um, but yeah, okay. So astrology. Um, okay. So we started this by saying that Venus only has one more day in Libra. I welcome this because even though Venus is strong in Libra, uh, she's been encountering K2 in the South Node, which has been making us, which has been forcing us to address issues in the collective that we, that are not functional anymore, that we don't like. It's a difficult process for everyone. Um, Tomorrow, Venus moves into Scorpio. Or not even tomorrow, tonight. So tonight, mm-hmm. December 4th, on the West Coast, she moves into Scorpio. Normally, this isn't the greatest place for, for Venus to be because Venus is considered to be in detriment in Scorpio. It's basically she's like going into Mars's dungeon <laughs> in Scorpio. Um, so it's not the most Venusian place. It's not the place where, you know, things look or feel beautiful nice aesthetically pleasing this is like goth venus this is what you want Tess. this is your goth well this is kind of me right venus and scorpio isn't that yeah you do have venus and scorpio yes goth venus (laughs) which is so funny as you're not like you you, no one would ever peg you as goth but you do have goth, goth in my heart you are goth in your heart the thing about it is that I really like the aesthetic, but I don't have like the interest in trying to make myself like I don't spend a lot of time on how I look. And mm. if I did, that's the direction I would probably go in. You had sort of like threads of that in high school. Like I can think yeah. of certain pictures of you that or moments I remember where I could have been like, oh, yeah, it's a direction that you're going into. But that's besides the point. <laughs> Venus. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Venus is going into Scorpio. And um, I think this particular week. So I'll release this tomorrow, which will be Tuesday, December 5th. So basically the week of the December 4th until Sunday 
Um, I feel like this is a positive moment in December. Like we've talked about how December it feels like a little bit of a of a letdown, like a stuck place. Um, Mars and Saturn are in a sign based square, so there's not a lot um, that can really happen or move forward. Um, we're kind of Tess and I are both intuitively feeling like January is the time to really. Um, look toward an opening to move projects forward to move um, to start new things this is still not that but this week we get venus and scorpio applying to an opposition with jupiter and taurus and also venus squaring um or not squaring i'm so sorry sextiling so a positive like nice aspect sextiling to mercury so Venus and Scorpio is sort of sending out her rays both to Jupiter and to Mercury. So that's bringing Venus into our thought process and our communication and bringing Venus into collaboration with Jupiter. And so that's going to feel not like, you know, the biggest lift that Venus can bring because it's Scorpio Venus, so it's still goth Venus, but it's still going to feel supportive and nice. And what I think it's particularly supportive too is ideating. And we have sort of talked about this before, but like, what do I, what really matters to me? Like we're going into like the winter hibernation mode. And in that mode, we're going to like eat too much and um, drink a little too much and we're going to sort of imagine what we would like January to bring. (laughs) And what Venus is going to support us doing in Scorpio, which is sort of a nice follow-up to what just happened with the K2 conjunction in Libra, is like going deeper within ourselves and looking at what we really want that we normally keep a little hidden and scorpio is a is a fixed sign and it's a really committed sign it's a sign that like sort of scorpionic relationships have these like really deep sort of uh deep connections that exist on the spiritual psychic internal level so venus is going to highlight those kinds of relationships for better or worse in scorpio um sometimes those can be deep in a positive way sometimes they can be deep in a not positive way but um she's gonna she's going to bring our thoughts into um the avenue of like who and what are we most committed to truly and you know, do we keep those things out in the open or do we keep them hidden? And, you know, should I continue to keep them hidden? Are they just for me or are they things that I should sort of commit to more publicly and make a bigger part of my life? And with the opposition to Jupiter, um, there's going to be a conversation in the fixed signs of Scorpio and Taurus about what kind of resources do we need to bring to these innermost desires and commitments? 
Jupiter and Taurus is all about expanding our resources, um, expanding our bank accounts, expanding the things in our home, the things that we have access to, trying to create some stability in our resources. So, um, yeah, you might it might be a, the kind of week where somebody reaches out to support something you're doing, or um, you know, you start to think about how can I generate more stable resources around a specific effort or a specific relationship, and none of that, maybe none of that will land until January. But it's a kind of like a week to to get the ball. To, to, to locate the ball. <laughs> well, I keep thinking, it's interesting because I feel like there are so many different reasons that December is a really great month for introspection. Um, like a lot of the different things you've told me about, I'm like, oh, again, good for introspection, again, good for introspection. Um, but th- sometimes planning can be very sad. You know what I mean? Because you can get really down on your plans and or feel regret about things not going a certain way or feeling like certain things you want are impossible. Um, and that can be like one of the reasons that you don't want to sink into the planning process is just knowing that that is very likely going to come up. So I feel like this week is a week where it's going to feel optimistic, right? Mm-hmm. Like, do that planning without it feeling, um, well, having to process too much of the, the scary parts. Right. And just my rec- <laughs> my strong recommendation um, is that you don't attach to anything that comes up this week as something that will happen immediately or quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, just like give a very long leash in terms of your expectations to whatever um, whatever bubbles up, whatever opportunities or whatever ideas or whatever feelings crop up this week. It's like, tag them, <laughs> put the, like, what are those things so you don't lose your devices, like the air pods tag? Yeah. Like, tag them so that it doesn't get lost, but don't expect anything super productive to actually happen because come Monday and Tuesday, <laughs> everything sort of gets overthrown. A little bit um it's like we're in this brief window of sort of like peace and um feeling like some you know ideating exactly what Tess said ideation and then we have a pretty like it's gonna be something good um it was just like okay so so we have a pretty hairy new moon in Sagittarius on the 12th which is the same day that Mercury stations retrograde so it's sort of like everything that feels sort of light or positive um this week I think it doesn't end or doesn't take like a permanent turnaround but it, everything gets starts to get delayed and the the moment of the delay really starts on the 12th because mm-hmm. we're going to have a new moon in Sagittarius um pretty close to Mars on the 12th um 
And then Mercury is going to station retrograde in Capricorn and start moving backwards toward Mars. So what it looks like is like Venus and Jupiter and Mercury are working on something nice. And then Mars is like, no, I have an urgent matter that needs to be addressed right now that is related to your old self or related to something that has already come up that you thought maybe you processed through or worked through um, that needs to be addressed immediately. And I'm not going to leave you alone until that thing gets addressed. And, you know, it might be something specific or might just be a distraction or some chaos or something. But December 12th sort of like marks the beginning of the um, Sagittarius emergency that is going to kind of color most of Christmas season. Um, And yeah, I just think it could be anything from like random distractions, um, kind of chaotic communication. Um, It just, it feels harried and sort of hassled. (laughs) Um, And like you know, unpredictable. Like, I don't know. I don't know what it's going to be. It's some, some mutable nonsense, you know, like just Mars creating, creating an issue that's just going to demand your attention. It's probably going to be for a lot of folks, like family drama around the holidays. Yeah. Love for the holidays. Yeah. This is sort of like extra family drama holiday. And, and I'm wondering, maybe it could just be like, everyone is already so on edge about the state of the world and, you know, processing grief and processing, in some cases, real trauma and just the division. It just feels like when the world gets to this state, it's like, we can't, our families become the landmine where the grief and the trauma and yeah. the anger are gonna just like bubble up and mm-hmm. you know over here over here over here just like a sort of endless little explosions that's kind of what it looks like just chaotic miscommunications explosions of emotion explosions of anger explosions of grief and it really may just like you said very simply be like a season of too much of that yeah so you know i don't know what the answer is because it's going to be so different for everybody based on what your current you know thing is but if you can peacefully and comfortably just do a small holidays by yourself that might be if you're feeling good about that that might be the nicest thing to try to do yeah I think for people who are comfortable with Neptune, like who kind of like enjoy the dissociative state, you know, just kind of like, oh, and I'm just gonna <laughs> just think coming over here and think about, you know, whatever I like to geek out on. I'm just gonna read my comic books in the corner while everyone is mad. Like those people are gonna thrive. Our professional, our professional opinion is avoid or disassociate. <laughs> I mean, like in a positive way. Like I don't mean like I, mean, no, I, don't I know. know. That, like I that just... could be very um, lacking sensitivity. I know, like disassociation, yeah, no, trauma response. Yeah. But like you know, by like read like a, a fantasy novel or like watch a lot of fantasy movies or like engage in fantasy like in a positive, constructive way. 
Yeah. And trying just, it's hard. It's so hard with your family because it's like the most personal thing that has been, you know, building for ever since you were born, you know, it's like this personal built on personal. Um, but try not to take it personally, I guess, if you can. Um, just kind of be like, oh, yeah, everybody's, everyone's going through a lot right now. Everyone's going through a lot right now. Yeah. I Tess wrote a really awesome, like, questionnaire, like, journal. We're calling it the December journal. And it's aimed at let me know if I'm correctly assessing this, but it's aimed at trying to take the uh, writer through a process of getting really specific about what helps generate like peace and contentment in your life. Um, but in these really specific ways that are not sort of that try, try to break us out of our normal thought patterns. Um, and it's very in-depth and very involved. And it, I think it could be really helpful this week, especially to dive into because the planets are sort of supporting this process. Okay. And um, it's on the Substack. It's free. So if you guys want to take a look at that, it would probably be a good week, um, week to, to, to dive into that. I don't know, Tess, if you want to say something more specific about it. No, I'm kind of relieved because it's it, it's a bit heavy, you know, or it has the potential to be a bit heavy because I don't know how to do things that aren't. That was that, that was a simple. That was as simple as like as concise as I could make it because it is such a big thing. And the goal is to, um, one of the goals is to dispel a lot of um, fears and fantasies. And kind of, you know, sink into a deeper part of ourselves. And that comes with a lot of, you know, you have to kind of confront the, the fear, which is inherently scary, obviously, and then the loss of the fantasy. And so it can feel really heavy to move through this material. So I agree this week. I'm like, yeah, this week it'll feel nice. It'll feel good. It'll feel like, you know, as you lose things, you'll feel like there are more opportunities or more ways of being or other, you know, things to think about. Um, and it's not, I, I just want to emphasize that almost no one needs to change everything in their life, right? Like most of us are pretty close to being on track with what we really like to do, what we really like to spend our time doing, you know, what we value. It's, we're, we're already moving in that direction. And so sometimes it's like we need to make little adjustments and sometimes we just need to change our perspective on it because we tend to put a lot of pressure on ourselves or to um, judge ourselves and our lifestyle and what we like doing based on broad cultural standards, uh, you know, of right. saying like, oh, this, is un this isn't valuable and you need to be more valuable. And so a lot of it is shifting the perspective to what do I find valuable? What do I enjoy doing? Yeah, I I think that's a really good way of describing the process that, that that questionnaire can take you through. It's sort of like if you are prone to or currently experiencing the feeling that everything in your life is wrong and you must overhaul it, yeah. which I mean, I feel like some people, myself included, are just chronically predisposed to that feeling. And 
I think that what Tess's questionnaire can help you realize and help you sort of sort through is like the reality that that feeling is false. Or sorry, not no. The the conclusion of that feeling is false. You yeah. don't really need to overhaul your whole life. But the feeling has a value. But if you need to get really specific in the questions that you're asking yourself to figure out what sort of places that feeling is emanating from so that you can like more surgically fix those things instead of just being like, I need to blow up my entire life. I need to start over. I made all the mistakes. This goes goes back to our conversation about relating to interpret, you know, interpreting internal experiences, right? Because it's that same, the feeling is valid, right? The feeling is very, very real. And then the interpretation of that feeling could be, I got to make every single change I possibly can. Nothing is going right. And so then you have to be like, okay, well, that's the the big response, the big interpretation yeah. of the feeling. Okay, how do we actually take the information that we've gathered yeah. <laughs> through these first few processes? <laughs> and how do we actually want to apply that? Because uh, they're not invaluable, you know, experiences, you know, feeling that way and then knowing that you're, I think... <laughs> This is maybe not going to sound super fun, but I think that knowing you're unhappy about something is good. You know, I don't think that, you know, I think it's, yeah, it's just that um, feeling empowered or feeling capable or feeling like there's some kind of direction to moving away from that or moving out of it or relating to it in a different way is something that you have to add on to that experience because it won't just go there on its own. Right. Right. Well, thank you so much for putting that together, Tess. That was really a lot of work and really wonderful and good work. And I hope people will see it and take advantage of it. Um, It's available on the Substack forum for free, um, as is everything at this point that we're putting up. I'm hoping to do a little bit of writing in December. I'm hoping to move into a space where I can write a monthly newsletter that is sort of a combination of some of the stuff we talk about on the podcast, maybe a little bit more specific stuff that's easier to read on paper, and then also some of my own like creative work and creative thoughts. I'm not going to promise anything because that's been an idea I've had for a long time. But I would like to start doing that on a monthly basis. So that will be on the Substack um, when I can get to it. And then we um, we also, if you join the Substack, um, you also get invitations to like a monthly Q&A where um, I think the kind of idea, at least in my mind, for the Q&A piece is it's sort of... It's sort of a continuation of something that Tess and I have already been doing for two years on Zoom, which is sort of talking about the the astrological moment in a group setting. Um, but what that often turns into is people asking specific questions about their charts, which I really like because I think astrology is most useful when you're kind of keeping tabs on your your chart, like your relationship to the sky in an ongoing or regular way. And not everybody has the time to learn astrology. So if you want to sort of like come to that 
meeting, then, I mean, you can ask questions about your chart or you can get more general information about like your rising sign or other people who have similar configurations. So it just becomes a more looser conversation of like, how is this specifically hitting this kind of person, like this <laughs> rising sign, this sun sign, that kind of thing. And it's casual and I can just answer questions on the fly, which is always my favorite way of doing it because it's the least amount of pressure. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, that's how I like working too, I think is I like having, like answering questions because then you know that you're getting at the stuff that the other person is interested in. Um, yeah. It's also, it just makes the, it just kind of gives a format for the conversation to go into a lot more depth about whatever is most relevant um, because it's so vast, right? Like the sky is vast. Everything is so big that we could do that at any particular corner, but there are going to be places that are much more personal and useful for people. Um, and it's fun. It's nice to see everybody. Yeah. And if you have like specific questions about stuff that we're not covering in the podcast, you can always like ask questions in the forum <laughs> they'll give us ideas of what to to discuss so we're happy to do that and then we also have the year ahead readings that we're um offering which are still available for sale on tess's website um there's a link we'll put the link in the in the sub stack um like we can't do like I was thinking about the other day, I was like, there is a limit to how many of those we can actually do, but I don't think we've hit that limit yet. So you can still buy them if you're interested in them. And we will try to get everyone scheduled close to the beginning of the year so that you have that information for all 12 months. Yeah. Like January, I think would be, yeah, we just try to do them all in January. So um, or even like at the end of December too, <laughs> if people want to do them earlier. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's super, Tess and I have been doing this for years, like just giving each other year ahead readings. So it's something where we like to do and is fun. Um, and so, yeah. Um, thank you guys so much for listening. Thank you. Yeah. Tess. Thank you, Christina. This is really fun and I'm so happy we're doing this and yeah, thank you. Thank you to everybody. All right. Bye, guys. Bye.